Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The New Statesman. Hi, just a word before we start. Voting is open for the British Podcast Awards People's Vote. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, we'd be so grateful if you could cast a vote for us. Just go to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash voting and search for The New Statesman. Voting is open until the 5th of September. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Freddie. And this is the New Statesman's Politics Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing whether Labour and the Conservatives are really U-turning on their environmental commitments. I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have our political correspondent, Freddie Haywood. Hi, Anish. Hi, Freddie. So this is the question of the week, really, following the ULES issue in the Uxbridge and South Ryslip by-election, which Labour says is the reason why they didn't manage to win the seat off the Conservatives. Are the government, but also Labour, rowing back on their commitment to the environment? Well, it's not uh, clear at the moment. This by-election, narrowly lost by Labour, has triggered a reaction in both parties um, against environmental policy. Whether it's just that their messaging's changed or their policy's changed, um, I, I, I mean, I think it's mostly the messaging. I spoke to one shadow cabinet minister this week and they said, of course, it's not going to change our policy. First of all, uh, becoming net zero by 2050 is legally binding and no one's proposed to change that and that applies to both parties, but it might change Labour's framing so, but this is not new. We've seen this over the past six months or so. Ed Miliband, especially Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves, have tried to sell their environmental policy, their green prosperity plan in terms of jobs, economic security, higher wages, preventing unemployment, these sorts of things. No one talks about green politics anymore. It's not a hot topic. It's hard to talk about. It's not very emotive. No one really cares in a cost of living crisis. It's not the top of people's priorities. So all the by-elections done, I think, is given more impetus to that argument. On the Conservative side, we know that Rishi Sunak's never been that keen on environmental policy. Of course, all the same caveats apply. It's not like he's jettisoned any major policies and he's still stuck with the, the net zero by 2050. But it's not at the front of his agenda. Um, we've seen some vacillation over whether or not they want to replace the policy on uh, getting rid of gas boilers by 2025, I think it is. And then we've had other briefings saying that they're not going to change it. So it's not clear. I think both parties are basically uh, accepting the uh, the narrative that's come out of Uxbridge. Environment policy is bad. Therefore, we don't like it. Therefore, we'll make it into something else. Whether that's actually changed, I think, um, I well, I don't think it has. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that it's more um, framing, isn't it? It's more yeah. how the, the language they're using about these policies. And actually, to be fair to Labour, a lot of people are accusing them of sort of knee-jerk changes to the by-election result. But it was in June that they rode back on their £28 billion commitment. And they, like you say, they've been talking about the green transition in terms of jobs and employment and security rather than in terms of, you know, let's make 
the environment a safer and more protected place. And that's something actually that they've learned from Joe Biden as well, who's doing, you know, huge things for the environment in the US, but is talking about it all in terms of work and jobs. That's actually something that I heard from someone on Biden's campaign team who was suggesting to parties like Labour, other sort of socially democratic parties around the world, that that's how you should talk about the green transition, because otherwise it sounds too radical, too new, something that might hit people in the pockets unless you put it in terms of their day-to-day lives, particularly in a cost-of-living crisis. Exactly. And I think actually the Conservatives were on this already. You know, they swapped their net zero language for energy security a long time ago. I think, you know, even over a year ago, that's how they were framing it. Um, And I think this is just Labour realising and following suit and doubling down on that that shift in emphasis rather than shift in policy. Yeah, and... We should also note that many people see the ULES policy, which is the ultra-low emission zone within London, which is being expanded by Sadiq Khan, the Labour mayor, um, as an air pollution policy, not a climate action policy. Yeah. I've had lots of emails about this uh, <laughs> following my morning call on Monday. And I think that's true to some extent. Um, of course, if you reduce the number of high-emitting cars, of course, it also contributes to climate change. But Sadiq Khan has also been clear that it's mostly a health measure to help people with Uh, air pollution and to reduce deaths from that. But it's also about the perception. I think you might say one's air pollution and one's climate change in the public mind. I think they've been conflated. Yeah. Um, And also, more importantly, in the the rights, some of the boisterous rights, people, you know, the Nigel Farage types, they've also managed to conflate the two things. And that's really important because we're in this cost of living crisis, as you say, Anoush. There's lots of frustration around the country and we've seen the power of Nigel Farage as a campaign in the past four weeks um, over the fact that Coots closed one of his bank accounts and the CEO of NatWest, who owns Coots, has now resigned. He is looking for a new Goliath to slingshot, I think. And he's been exploring various options since uh, we left the EU. He's been a, a major critic of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. He's gone for green policies, including ULEZ. Well, he wanted a LTNs. referendum on net zero for a while. They still do. He? And there's, yeah. there's also some Tory MPs have called for that as well. So it, there is this fringe within the right who have been quite stringent on this point for a very long time. My worry is that if Labour and well, and the Conservatives, but more Labour, if they cede the argument that we need to introduce these policies for environmental reasons or whatever, but if they cede the argument that it's not as important compared to other things, then it, it, it creates a little vacuum for the right to come in and say, of course, we shouldn't do it. Yes. And and that's the thing. People are reading into this by-election result what they want to read into it. So you have that net zero scrutiny group of Tory MPs that you described, you know, the ones who have always been banging the drum against these policies saying, well, see, look, we told you so. Yeah. Um, and then you have Labour thinking, oh, gosh, we're still far too radical for the voters. We've got to be even more cautious. Um, and actually, there is a danger of overcorrecting. Mm. Most of the polling shows that the public is concerned about climate change and thinks that Labour would do a better job on it than the Conservatives and don't see enough coming out of the government to change things. I mean, that polling should be taken with a pinch of salt because obviously when this collides with people's day-to-day lives and how it affects their own finances, then the views, you know, change, yeah, um, which is completely natural. But I do think Labour ought to be a little careful because they have watered down that £28 billion spending commitment. They've equivocated over North Sea oil drilling because of their mm. the pressure from the unions. And, you know, they do start to look like there is very little between them and the Conservatives on climate policy. And actually, Boris Johnson, for all of the scandal of his premiership, 
he was very different from other sort of so-called populist leaders in right-wing parties around the world in that he was very committed to environmental measures. And you had Zach Goldsmith, someone who was close to him, resigning from his position saying Rishi Sunak just didn't take it seriously enough. Yeah. Um, and so it was something that the UK could legitimately say it was sort of leading on, particularly around the COP time, um, mm. getting all of these countries to sign up to the net zero commitment and climate finance for, for for other countries around the world, developing countries. And Labour, you know, has been quite, I don't know, I suppose lily-livered on that. And it, it perhaps is an overcorrection. Yeah. I, I'm not sure it's necessarily an overcorrection in terms of the policy because uh, it was perhaps unlikely that they were able to deliver the £28 billion a year on green funding within the first year of entering Parliament anyway. And they've kept the commitment to decarbonise the electricity uh, system by 2030. So they said they're going to achieve that. That's the output. Whether the input is what they say it's going to be or not, I think is is less important. But I completely agree that they might have overcorrected on the messaging of it. And holding those two things distinct in your mind is always important. And I think we'll also come back in the second half and speak a little bit how they might have done the same with Liz Truss's debacle in office but yeah, it is a risk. We're not there. And I think, as you say, Anuj, nothing's changed that much. And also we have to remember that they did slash the Tory majority in Uxbridge by a lot. So, yeah, and, and the, it was only and the vote for votes. the Greens was higher than, yes. the, than the majority that the Conservatives won by, which I suppose is notable. It is notable, yeah. And yeah, so we can't overstate how bad this is for Labour. I think people were definitely searching for a narrative to come out of the by-elections to say, oh my God, Labour is not doing as well. And I think also Labour themselves wanted that. Remember, we had the National Policy Forum st- yeah. straight after the by-elections uh, this, this weekend. And I was speaking to some people who were there on Monday and they were basically saying, well, it was actually quite good to have lost Uxbridge because <laughs> we could say to the, the left parts of the party, look, of course we can't be more radical. We have to be fiscally responsible. We have to come down hard on spending commitments. Otherwise, we're going to lose seats like Oxbridge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a positive spin on it. I imagine that he would have been in a stronger position going into national policy forum if he'd won won all three. But yes, we'll keep an eye on how these policies go. I mean, one last thing is that it clearly is a dividing line that the Conservatives want to draw. They're trying to stick Just Stop Oil, for example, onto Labour. They're trying to associate Keir Starmer with the people who are, you know, disrupting big events and lying down in the roads and making a nuisance of themselves. And, you know, those kind of tactics are very unpopular. Mm. Labour obviously are are trying to distance themselves from it and trying not to let it stick to their reputation. But uh, that's clearly something that the Conservatives are going to try and use coming up to an election. Yeah, completely. Harry Lambert, one of our colleagues, has interviewed Dale Vince, the uh, Labour Party donor and Just Stop Oil donor in uh, the New Statesman this week, which is very interesting. They have tried to do that, whether that would be successful or not. I think, well, I don't think it's going to be successful because Keir Starmer has been so adamant that he disagrees with what Just Up Oil have been doing. He calls them arrogant. I think Keir Starmer has developed a attuned sense for public opinion and fear of public scandal in the past year or so. And that's coming to bear. It's coming to bear on the Nigel Farage case when he's, he actually said, I think yesterday that he, he feels sorry for Nigel Farage now. So he's not just, I don't mind you calling me a conservative. He feels sorry for Nigel Farage. But he's, he's yeah, he, he knows how to avoid... Uh, annoying the wrong type of people. And I think he's done exactly the same with Just Up Oil. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to send a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us or put one in the YouTube comments. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. It really helps us to reach more people. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleague, Freddie Hayward. We'll be back tomorrow to answer your questions in our next episode, You Ask Us. Suze Cooper edited this episode and we're produced by Chris Stone. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Freddie here. I want to tell you about a new way you can support the New Statesman's independent journalism. Every morning I send out Morning Call, our daily newsletter covering everything you need to know about British politics. It's free to sign up, plus for just £3 a month, you'll get a recommended daily piece of ours sent to you in full, plus exclusive polling analysis from Ben Walker, a weekly update from Will Dunn, and our featured piece on Sundays. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll love Morning Call. Head to morningcall.substack.com and subscribe now.